Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Ideas Factory. I'm Nakma. Joining me is Professor Harsh Pant. On this episode of the Ideas Factory, we will continue to discuss Ukraine and the crisis that is there because the the standoff continues and there is a, a sharp line uh, between Europe and Russia. We do not know uh, what is the way ahead right now because the talks have not been very fruitful. Along with that, we'll also look at China and and uh, Xi Jinping speaking at Davos. The Chinese policy, the Chinese. Chinese doublespeak, China constructing a bridge again, uh, which India considers illegal. So all that we are going to look at on this episode of the Ideas Factory. A very warm welcome to you, Harsh. And I would like to begin this conversation uh, by uh, your analysis on what's going on uh, on the Ukraine front. The problem continues. The standoff continues. Ukraine is a flashpoint between Russia and uh, and the West. And uh, UK uh, now accuses Russia of uh, the threatening behavior and hence UK has sent arms uh, for self-defense for Ukraine. That's what UK calls. Russia is a very adamant Russian. About 100,000 troops are already there in Ukraine. And Russia is adamant that uh, Ukraine cannot become a member of NATO. So all this is going on and we see a sharp line dividing the two. All these talks have not really brought out any result. What is the role of the US now? It's more between Europe and uh, Russia. So what can U.S. do here? These are big challenges for Joe Biden. Uh, thanks, Nagma. You know, it's quite interesting because it's quite, uh, you know, the, the, the way things are unfolding in Europe, uh, it's quite uh, reminiscent of the Cold War, heydays of Cold War, where uh, uh, it was the Soviet Union and America actually uh, fighting over uh, Western Europe. And now, of course, uh, the, the the landscape is much wider and Ukraine has become the battleground on which some of these geopolitical concerns are playing out. Uh, of course, uh, last week, uh, there, there, were, there were three sets of conversations between Russia and the US, Russia and NATO, Russia and OSCE, uh, and none of them actually resulted in much. Uh, and, and the challenge, I think, uh, remains uh, as it is because the fault lines are quite sharply uh, drawn uh, and the distance that the two sides uh, you know ha- have between their own perception of the problem uh, has not been bridged at all now of course uh, you know in the last few days we have we are hearing very serious concerns being raised both by the white house um, and uh, by european capitals that uh, you know that a big crisis if not a full fledged war is 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 on its way uh, and then Russians, of course, denying that and then saying that, look, uh, we are doing uh, what is what is important to uh, stake out our positions. Now, the, the, I, I think fundamentally the challenge uh, is is a geopolitical one and whether in this uh, in, in the 21st century, uh, one can go back to this old idea of this uh, of spheres of influence that Russia seems insistent it wants to maintain. Uh, and, and the question is uh, whether Ukraine's uh, fate will be decided by, uh, by Moscow and, and European capitals or by Ukrainians themselves or by Ukraine itself. And that is, I think, a big challenge uh, because Russia, of course, is insisting that uh, 
under no conditions can Ukraine be allowed to join NATO. Uh, but I think what is interesting is that what Russia is doing is it is also generating anxiety in Europe and countries like Finland and Sweden. Uh, there is this, uh, you know, again, a talk is emerging of whether these countries that have not joined NATO, that are not members yes. of NATO, should join NATO once again. And of course, then there is UK, which is now stepping up and saying that, look, we are willing to provide uh, some basic uh, uh, weapon systems basic anti-tank missiles to to Ukraine. Uh, and, and of course, U uh, UK has been also doing some training for Ukrainian forces for some time, ever since the Crimean crisis. So I think there is, a, there is a, you know, the, the, the questions remain unresolved. And whatever happens uh, going forward, it's very clear that, that Russia has an upper hand at the moment, because it's, it's largely they who are going to decide uh, which way uh, the cookie crumbles. Uh, yes, of course. And Ash, do you think it's a very tricky situation for also countries like Germany who seem to be doing a bit of a freelancing here because the rest of the West seems to be uh, are actually portrays to be united as far as Kremlin is concerned. But uh, it's a it's a test for the new chancellor Olaf Scholz too. And uh, some conversations have uh, started between Germany and uh, Russia. And do you think this um, not... Uh, you know, Stream 2 pipeline can be used as a geopolitical weapon here. I think it's it's in some ways it's already being used, Nagma, because uh, you know EU has uh, is despite all uh, the concerns that are emanating from European capitals, Europe has uh, still to come out with a coherent set of response to this challenge. Uh, and all the heavy lifting is being done by Washington. And, and Washington would certainly like Brussels to come out uh, with a united policy. But uh, as we know, its foreign policy in, uh, in uh, European Union is a very tricky business. Uh, and uh, Germany in particular, as the point that you mentioned, is not at all keen that, uh, that uh, you know, a conflict uh, between Russia and West escalates or that uh, Russia is targeted because there are clear economic uh, and there is a clear economic angle and there is an angle about uh, you know gas uh, and, and energy supplies from Russia which at this critical time in Europe when uh, it's uh, the high tide of winter uh, the infl inflation is already very high I don't think countries are uh, you know European capitals would like uh, any uh, attempt to ratchet up the pressure but Clearly, I think things are unfolding at a faster pace than perhaps the ability of European capitals to manage at the moment. And and Washington is very would be very keen that they come up with a with a you know with a position. Let's also remember that uh, you know Washington itself or Joe Biden administration itself uh, is facing a very very critical choice. Uh, exactly at the time uh, when they should be celebrating one year uh, in office. Uh, and uh, in, this is one of the trickiest challenge of, on the foreign policy front that the, that the Biden administration is facing today at a time when its own credibility domestically is going down. Biden's opinion polls are terrible. Uh, and uh, and I think uh, the, the polarization is immense. Uh, so I think the ability of West to stand up to this challenge also remains an open question at this point. So clearly, there is there is certainly uh, a there would be a desire on the part of Washington and certain European capitals to put up a united front. But operational challenges in putting up that united front uh, are very, very visible. Of course, operational. There are operational challenges in putting up a united front, and now that the uh, UK has been sending arms, um, uh, you know, for self-defense uh, for Ukraine, uh, and Russia is very adamant on its position of not letting Ukraine or Georgia uh, join NATO. Uh, you think this situation there is? Uh, 
is uh, in fact deteriorating and it can lead to a to do more tension or more like a warlike situation there now arms coming in and russian troop and troops are also guarding uh, ukraine there could be the the chances of conflict uh, go up in this kind of a situation uh, yes i think what is striking is that diplomacy is being pursued but both sides are keeping their powder dry and both sides of course uh, you know we have 100000 troops uh, uh russian troops surrounding ukraine and we have uh, uk uh, saying that look uh, this is uh, we are going to go ahead uh, with uh, supporting uh, ukraine to a, uh, to a limited extent uh, militarily uh, you know through through weapon supplies or uh, and, and 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 you know training that they have been doing for a long time now uh, in ukraine uh, i think that the question would be whether uh, uh whatever measures or whatever the, the steps uh, moscow takes next uh, how would uh, the the west respond because the choices are not that many either you uh, you know you uh, sanction russia which is something that west has threatened uh, and, and of course threatened that uh, sanctions would be so extreme that russia would uh, that the consequences for russia could be devastating uh, or uh, you ratchet it up militarily for which there won't be much appetite now let's also remember that uh, i think a long drawn out military conflict is also not in the interest of moscow and mr putin uh, he's also facing his own sets of challenges uh, domestically uh, and uh, you know if if there is a crisis in which his forces are drawn into ukraine that's not something that he would like but he has other means you know he he uh, we have already seen cyber attacks we have already seen uh, misinformation campaigns being run so there are other elements of this in in this gray zone uh, era of warfare where uh, russia can do certain things uh, which will make it incumbent upon the west to retaliate and that retaliation would that would then mean that there will be an escalation ladder which both sides will have to climb quite rapidly and in such a situation conflict becomes a very likely possibility Uh, absolutely hush um and when you talk of conflict and escalation uh, back home let's look at what china is doing uh, once again china is constructing a bridge across the pangong and um, it's very evident by satellite pictures which are out there uh, very clearly they are continuing with the construction even during this harsh winter months you know you can see snow covered land and the construction is going on now the question is of course india india says it's illegal um, the construction that's going on uh, it's the same area where the standoff took place now uh, how significant is this ac- action by china is this construction of a bridge by china in the wider conflict in case of a war like scenario how does it alter the game or uh, uh, do you think is it a stepping stone towards infrastructure or further infrastructure encroachment uh yes i think it is it is an attempt by china which is which it has been doing now for quite a while uh, to gradually change uh, you know the facts on the ground uh, to gradually alter the, the 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 topographic realities and that is something that uh, you know that uh, inch by inch uh, salami slicing that it does uh, has led us uh, to this position where um, much like in other 
areas of conflict we are seeing the same pattern being repeated along the lac there is it is also interesting that uh, you know that this is something that is happening along the bhutanese border where we are seeing now increasing uh, construction by china which bhutan considers um, uh, you know uh, uh, an area which is disputed so clearly i think all around the lac we are seeing uh, infrastructure reinforcement and a clear message by china that uh, you know that this is uh, this dispute that this conflict that this uh, uh, border row will uh, you know is, is a long term one and, and india should be prepared for it uh, i think the other fact that we have to also acknowledge is that this is a very important year in chinese calendar political calendar uh, xi jinping's uh, you know uh, xi jinping is likely to be crowned emperor this year for life uh, formally we we know that uh, you know he is already uh, he has already attained that position but i think for him uh, to to showcase a certain sense of strength globally that what he is doing and the, and what he's uh, trying to do with with his uh, with chinese uh, neighbors is being done on chinese terms and conditions is going to be a very important hallmark of his leadership both for the domestic audience as well as for global interlocutors so i don't think uh, you know whether, even if you look at it from the domestic political uh, angle it's very unlikely that we are that there is there is going to be a possibility for of deescalation this year because throughout the year as the national people's congress uh, uh, you know uh, as we move towards the uh, national people's congress uh, and uh, xi jinping's uh, a coronation in some ways uh, we are we are likely to see such provocations more and more and we are likely to see uh, xi jinping positioning himself as the best guarantor of chinese security uh, to his domestic audience and i think that is something that not only india but the world should be prepared for this is these are going to be a few very turbulent months uh, ahead and perhaps even a year absolutely you're saying it's going to be uh, not only turbulent months but a turbulent year ahead because xi jinping is positioning himself in a certain way for his domestic audience and he he will be actually formally crowned the emperor but uh, you know it's all we understand it's all uh, the positioning and china will escalate this way but how big a concern should it be for india considering if this is happening now i'm talking about the construction of the bridge across the lake it gives chinese so- uh, soldiers or the chinese forces the ability to quickly mobilize soldiers to either side of the lake i mean earlier they had to t- take a much longer route and if this construction happens that that route that distance is cut down by some 150 kilometers uh, so that definitely makes them stronger gives them the ability to mobilize faster so um, this should be a big concern for india right and um, yeah. the india china standoff that we had seen earlier in february 2021 uh, this this has been a, a flashpoint uh, so do you think uh, it's significant india needs to worry about it india needs to do something about it Uh, yes i think uh, you know every uh, the, the kind of reinforcement uh, both uh, infrastructural reinforcement as well as uh, military operational reinforcement that we have seen along the lac on the chinese side 
is, as I said, is a sign that Chinese are not willing to back down and gradually uh, they are uh, uh, trying to gain, uh, you know, operational flexibility so that when the time comes, they are able to mobilize as quickly as possible. And that is something that is that we are seeing in the way they are uh, approaching uh, reinforcements along the LAC, the way they are, they are construct, constructing settlements, the way they are building uh, infrastructure. And I think that's, that's quite evident. For India, the challenge is... Uh, that of course India will mobilize and India uh, will expedite the infrastructure um, development on its side of the border to gain similar kind of operational flexibility. But I think the challenge is that given uh, you know uh, given the long term disparity between the two countries, uh, it is going to be a long haul for India before it it can match uh, you know infrastructure to infrastructure or 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 dollar to dollar investment. But I think what India can do and is, is perhaps is trying to do is to gain uh, local uh, you know, superiority uh, where there, there are flashpoints along the LAC to make sure that Chinese forces are deterred if they decide to uh, become more adventurous. Now, whether that succeeds or not remains to be seen. But I think under the present circumstances, uh, that is a sensible option. And also the fact that India continues to... Uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it is interesting that what we are, you know, uh, although the, the core commanders, uh, 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 you know, meeting regularly yeah, has not yielded any benefits so far, apart from one uh, disengagement that we saw last year. Uh, yeah. But I think the fact that the two sides continue to to deliberate on it uh, is a fact that I think uh, both sides see uh you know, that there is something positive to be, to come out. Uh, that there is something positive to uh, about a continuous engagement uh, because this is uh, you know this is certainly uh, a question that for both China and India is a question not simply about the boundary but it is also about the larger scope of the relationship. The relationship mm-hmm. is stuck, and both sides know it. And both sides also know that they need to find a way of breaking the logjam. It's just that. Uh, I think at the at the at the present moment, the incentive structure domestically and structurally is such that uh, it does not take you towards uh, towards finding any solutions. Rather, it it makes the positions positioning harder. But I think it, there is a real challenge that as we try to struggle with this logjam, uh, a small uh, uh, crisis along the LSE can escalate to a level where the policymakers may find it difficult to control the escalation. Sure. And um, what is happening here, the construction and uh, the salami slicing that China does, all that we see. But then you look at what Xi Jinping spoke at Davos and there have been many tweets uh, and there have been many comments about his double speak at Davos, Harsh. He calls for peace while threatening neighbors. Uh, you know, he, he threatens catastrophic consequences if confronted. He challenges uh, uh, you know, he talks about the challenges that the world faces due to COVID-19 pandemic, and yet he is so reluctant to actually go for the source and investigate the source. So the double speak was at its best when we see Davos. Yes, I think Davos has become a platform where, uh, <laughs> where perhaps the, the fault lines in, in the Xi Jinping ideology um, become uh, very stark because there, 
Uh, he's trying to attract global investors to China. Uh, and yet at the same time, uh, I think he's firmly focused on his domestic audience. Uh, and as I was suggesting, you know, this year in particular, there is no way that he, he will back down on any of the things that, he's artic- that he has long articulated about China's uh, role, uh, you know, historical role in, in mm-hmm. the world, China's civilizational destiny. Uh, and, and I think uh, all of that is embedded in the way he looks at his own role uh, in shaping China's uh, future course. So clearly, I think uh, even as he... Uh, you know, rhetorically wants peace, he's very clear that the peace will have to be on his own terms. Even as he wants global investors to come and invest in China, he's very clear that it has to be on Chinese terms and conditions. Even as he wants greater um, you know, equality, which is a sensible move uh, domestically, uh, it, it, it is very clear that it has to be on the terms and conditions of the Chinese Communist Party. So I think uh, the, the, the fault lines, What I, I think uh, the, the speech was interesting because it exposed a number of the vulnerabilities in China today. That look, here is a country that wants to become a global leader, yet the language it uses is that of a schoolyard bully. Here is a country that wants to, you know, uh, ameliorate uh, domestic economic inequalities. But the way it is going about it is wiping off a lot of wealth uh, within the country itself. So I think uh, in some ways, those are the vulnerabilities for China. And those are the vulnerabilities that China faces as it uh, tries to assume the role of a global leader. But that's where we are in, in, in I think, in, in the evolution of China as a global leader. And this is something that I think uh, we'll all have to live with for a while Till such time as the as 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 China and the world do not find an equilibrium to deal with each other. <laughs> All right. So evolution of China as a global leader is still uh, happening. Uh, while it uses the language of a schoolyard uh, bully very nicely, you put it there, Harsh. Can we take a question here, which is uh, actually connected to the Ukraine crisis? And one of our viewers have sent a question. Anand Sangameshwaran, he asks, do the usual suspects have a role in the Kazakhstan crisis? And if so, was it a ploy to deviate Russia's Russian focus from Ukraine, though temporarily? Uh, see, certainly, I think um, for the West uh, or for um, uh, you know um, for for major Western countries, uh, it would be useful uh, if if Russia is distracted. But I think it would also be uh, remiss if we don't uh, look at the domestic reasons for what is happening in Kazakhstan. While certainly, uh, you know, uh, it, there is uh, there is a role for external actors in countries like Kazakhstan. But the questions that I think. Kazakh citizens have raised uh, during their protests, uh, which 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 have now uh, and come under control by and large, uh, are valid ones, and they have been part of this uh, of I think the domestic discourse for quite some time. There is also the question of uh, of of the succession of leadership in Kazakhstan. We know that uh, you know that uh, Nazarbayev's legacy lives on, and there is a lot of tension between the present leadership and uh, you know the the the, the what what uh, nazarbayev represents so i think in some ways uh, you know the leadership crisis in kazakhstan the economic crisis in kazakhstan the social and political disruption in kazakhstan also have a lot to do uh, with the present situation in Kazakhstan. Now, of course, uh, if you are an external power and you want to use that to exploit uh, uh, the situation, uh, you would you would use that to your advantage. Why not? But I think ultimately uh, the questions and the resolution uh, should be found within Kazakhstan itself. Uh, and of, at the moment, 
clearly Russia has shown that it is Russia that wields uh, the clout uh, in Central Asia as far as the Kazakh situation is concerned. All right. So uh, I hope uh, Anand's question is answered uh, there. And uh, before we close, Harsh, a very quick comment and a look at the at the India-UK FTA. What are the hopes that we have from that uh, free trade agreement? There have been talks of interim trade agreement already in the fields of trade, economy, investment. Uh, so we have a lot to look forward to as far as India-UK is concerned. Yes, I think both sides uh, launched formally this uh, uh, this past week uh, the negotiations for the FTA, which is long pending, which has long been pending. Uh, and as Britain looks at a larger global role in the Indo-Pacific, and as India tries to uh, reconfigure its response uh, to FTAs and and the larger uh, global economic environment at a time of great economic disruption, uh, I think this partnership makes eminent um, sense uh, and hopefully uh, we will see some kind of an interim agreement soon because both sides are pursuing other such agreements with other other nations as well and there is a new momentum uh, in uh, in finding a resolution to some of the most critical uh, issues that were, that were actually impediments to finding a resolution so uh, the, in, in, in in moving uh, to, to the FTA so I think uh, that new momentum should allow uh, India and the UK to conclude an interim agreement quickly if not a full FTA uh, you know that they are hoping but eventually it would be good if the two sides do conclude uh, a full free trade agreement uh, but in the in the short term perhaps it looks as if the interim agreement is the way to go all right. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Harsh, for that conversation and the analysis and making us understand um, uh, the context of things. Thank you so much. We will see you next week um, on Ideas Factory and do send in your questions. Uh, we shall try to answer one or two questions in our coming episodes as well. Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.